Killian's is the record and flipping out that's that would be a that's that's achievable but it, you know it's achievable for for a very good athlete obviously to come and beat that but um yeah there's there's one record and it's and it's Killian's now and I wasn't really all that close to it when it's 50 minutes away from that so um I, yeah I think I think Billy's time was was on the radar so that that time mid September I went out and had a couple of recce's of, of the round just to familiarize myself with some of the lines I might want to take because I think when you're looking at going for a, for a fast round you know you need to obviously know where you're going <laughs> um and and the lines that work best for you so um it was really on that I only had two weekends of wrecking it uh and it was the second weekend I thought okay well maybe um I was initially on on a 15-hour schedule for the first weekend and I, I ran it comfortably in that um carrying all my kit and stuff and just thought well next weekend I'll, I'll, I'll go off Beth splits and and that felt that felt good as well and and so then it was really well. I just go kind of death or glory. I think is what what I said to my to my support crew is I'm just going to go for a fast time. I didn't tell them I was going to go for Billy's time necessarily. I told them fourteen and a half. Um, and then it was just kind of came out. Um, Paul Comfort just asked me straight up was you know how are you actually going to go for Billy's time? And I kind of I had to kind of tell him you know I had to be honest and say well yeah that's that that is in that's the back of my head is to go for that. That my friend was George Foster. And this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. These delays in getting episodes out are becoming more frequent, so I'd just like to thank everyone for their patience and support as I navigate through my current time restrictions. That aside, we have George Foster on the podcast this week, who last October beat Billy Bland's time on the Bob Graham. This wasn't long after Beth Pascal beat the female record, and I was intrigued that these two amazing athletes were both being coached by Martin Cox, who we had the pleasure of listening to in last week's episode. George had done numerous interviews on the Bob Graham, so in this episode we tried to unpack the journey that brings you to the place that you can complete the round in 13 hours and 44 minutes. George is racing some of the most iconic mountain races in the world, but his recent time in the Bob Graham may have taken the lid off these longer endurance attempts, which he has no doubt got a hidden talent for. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to Moira O'Sullivan, who is a local mountain runner. We had previously on the podcast during the Dennis Rankin Round Winter Special. She has just released her latest book, A Quarter Glass of Milk, which is all about the calling of the mountains and how it can help to heal the soul. I've just ordered my copy from Amazon and look forward to her latest masterpiece. Not to hold you up any further, it's with great pleasure I give you George Foster. Did you have anything yourself sort of planned for this year? Not so much. No, I mean, kind of. Um, World Trail champs potentially in November in Thailand, but <laughs> who, who knows? We'll just we'll just see what happens. I think. Yeah, there's there's always races that are on on your list. I mean, there's a lot that carried over from last year. That obviously, didn't happen for whatever reason. So uh, I guess just do them um, if, if they go ahead. But I mean, I can't see anything happening until back end of summer at the earliest really how, how do you maintain your motivation you know will, um, will they won't they i just don't really think about them to be honest i just kind of accept that they're not going to happen and anything that does happen is a bonus it's not something i, I think i really dwell on just sort of mm. um i just enjoy training for the sake of training i think last year cemented that which was kind of, you know quite a good thing i think people either went one way or the other way didn't they and just thought yeah you either get super fit from training loads because you enjoy training or you you just sack it in <laughs> um and sort of do your own thing but I, I just enjoy training and and yeah trying not to think too much ahead to be honest yeah i think you're right there there's some people come out of it like superhuman beings at the end of mm. <laughs> and all the lockdown they change their focus into like, to, to different things um where other people it's very easy to fall onto the pity step though isn't it you know mm. you can be there oh, yeah. for two or three months before you know it you have an extra yeah, five yeah. or six pound on you know and yeah. all of a sudden you see people entering races and they're like flying and you're like hmm I need to get off this step very quickly. Yeah. But it's going to be an exciting yeah. year, I think. You know, with some so many... We had, obviously, we had Paul Turney on there a couple of weeks ago, um, <laughs> which was really good. I think that's one of my biggest achievements for 2021 was getting Paul on the podcast. I what? know. I, I just had listened to it. He sounded um, pretty complimentous as well for Paul, which is good. Good episode. But, you, you know, there's a lot of good people, strong people, fast people who are into this type of running. Um. Mm. And we have the likes of the rounds and the Wainwrights and things like that. And if this COVID situation continues, you'll see more and more of those people sort of 
moving towards the rounds and these fkts are up and down the country it is exciting to watch as well you know there's there's a few great people out there who are sort of focusing on them and if the races don't happen it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2021 yeah no i i think people will just carry on where they left off last year in, in that sort of sense like the rounds as you were saying you know there's people interested um you're going after all sorts of times now and i think there's no sign of that stopping it's certainly in the sense that i can't see if you guys just had six more weeks over there of, of lockdown then the idea of getting a thousand people in the field in june to run a race <laughs> is just not gonna happen is it so um i think the, the rounds and that sort of stuff the challenges are going to be the way forward for the at least the first six months seven months of the year where are you located at, at the minute uh just near keswick born and bred there in the land of the fells no 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 um no so uh yeah, so we we've moved we moved here from Yorkshire about three years ago, um, and I was based in the army for a couple of years as well. So and before that, the Smith, so me, me and my wife lived down in Ambleside for a bit before that, and um, just moved all over the place. Yeah. Running wherever there's some running and climbing. But Ambleside's <laughs> it's not that far away from Keswick, is it? No, uh, ten fifteen miles or something like that. Have you always run like since you were in school and things like that? Yeah, but, but yeah, I did. Um, primary school did sort of eight hundred meters. That was the furthest we could run. We're allowed to run, um, so that was like the the ultra endurance for for a ten year old kid, I think. And um, and then just yeah, kind of kept it up through school, secondary school. Did cross country, limited success. You know, the sort of district, county sort of level. Went down to English schools for the track and four hundred meters at Birmingham and come dead last to me in my heat so <laughs> that was my track career done and then at university dabbled in it a bit but was more into me rock climbing and then it wasn't really until joining the army in 2012 2011 2012 that the rock climbing took a back seat because obviously the army's pretty keen on um, on the running side of things so um that sort of yeah the climbing took a back seat and the running come come to the fore and kind of built from there really did you yeah, love love for the mountains come from the rock climbing? Yeah, that was always so. Um, my mum's from Oban on the west coast of okay. Scotland, so we used to go up, up there every single chance we had. Really, um, Easter break, February after um, summer, so on, so on, so on. Spend weeks up there, um, and it was just, I guess it's from that. Yeah, she grew up on a farm on that side, so they've, they've still got that farm. All my uncle does, and uh, yeah, it was just helping out on that, being outdoors all the time, and but competitive though, and, competitive. Know. You know, you might have come last, but you were still in the heats. You know, even when you were younger, you, just, <laughs> you know, you were still pushing through there. And have you always had that competitive side to you? Um, I've got an older brother, <laughs> so I guess maybe that answers it a little bit. But no, I mean, those, those heats, I, I don't know how I ended up down there, to be honest. It was, I was never a track runner, 400 meter or anything like that. I just ended up going down there because I, I do cross country. Um, so I, I, I actually didn't like competition at all. I didn't like racing. Um, when I was at school, did everything I could to kind of avoid it. 400 meters eyeballs out, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what put paid to it. And I, I don't know where this sort of competitive instinct came from, because it, it's definitely there now. And I, I definitely, I enjoy, I definitely enjoy the racing element. Whether that's competing against other people or competing against myself, I'm not too sure. Probably more the latter, but... How did it unfold in the army then? When, so I, I did the officer route, so I went to Sandhurst and... Um, the army is great for a lot of things. One of the things they're really good for is this sort of Wednesday sport. So you would get your, your Wednesday afternoon off to go and do a sport. And in your first term at Sanders, you, you don't get any time off. In sort of your intermediate and senior terms, you you get your Wednesday sports afternoon. So I wanted to do a, join a club where I could maximise the, the time I had out, outside or maximise the time I had enjoying enjoying myself and like running, running for the fun of it, really. So the running club come into that. And... Um, we had this, uh, what was his name? can't remember. The the officer in charge of that club recognised that I could run relatively fast, but basically just said, you you could be really good, but your technique's shit. <laughs> and, and that was kind of, that was a good kind of kick up the ass and a, a bit of a motivator to sort of pick his brains and say, well, how, how do I get faster? And, you know, and how, how do I improve my technique? And it just come from that, that sort of desire to, to improve. And, you know, having someone, even with a backhander compliment like he gave me, recognising that, that there is some a bit, you know, like a little bit of talent there, maybe that I could develop and and see where it goes. It's great though when you you start getting on that ladder, isn't it? Like, because it's, you know, it's so true in running in all aspects of running that you know you get out what you put in, and it's almost yeah. that addiction, isn't it? If you can get that consistency going, 
you know, you know, yeah. you can improve, and you can fine tune this and this. And it doesn't take that much, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. It takes you to the next bit level. Then you look for the the next piece of that yeah. journey, and then it takes you to the next bit and the next bit. And there's, it doesn't seem to be any end to that, does there? If you can maintain consistency, hopefully not. No, because I mean that that's fundamentally what sort of drives me is to see how how fast or how far or or whatever I can I can go and. Um, and hopefully there isn't an end to that because it'll, it'll come crashing down if there is. <laughs> um, I'll probably hang up my shoes. But. What is the furthest you've been? You've gone uh, distance-wise, um, probably the, the Bob Graham, I think. Okay. So only sixty odd miles. So nothing. So to, I did do a little bit of prep. Um, so shame on me. <laughs> it may be all totally wrong. Like, but 2014, you entered the Sierras in L. Yeah. It's one of the most iconic races. In, well, it is the most iconic mountain race, I suppose, of all. You know, it's one of the yeah. oldest, most traditional, um, one of the most scenic mountain races on, in the planet, really. What mm. drew you to that? Um, the exact reason that you've just <laughs> said, like, yeah, literally just like a box ticking exercise, really. Just, um, uh, just kind of went all in on running and was, you know, just a proper nerd for it, you know, really into the stats of it, the, the characters of it, you know, started off by, um, so I used to work at the old Dungeon Guild on Langdale back in 2010 or 11 something. And um, Neil Wormsley, the the um, landlord there, he, he was a, a fell runner and he had loads of old back issues of fell runner magazines. So, so he used to just read them and you'd be reading the profiles of, of Rob Jeb or um, Ian Holmes and all those people and seeing the races they'd run, John O'Wyatt, um, profile of him and, seeing him running around um, Grossglockner and all those places and thinking, wow, you know, the European scene looks ace. I'd love to do them. And obviously you get drawn to Sierra and Alpha for exactly why you said it's, you know, my iconic race and potentially the world, you know, up there before, you know, pre-UTMB sort of stuff. And um, I thought, well, I need to go and, need to go and give that a bash. It looks amazing. Um, and yeah, 2014 come around and yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the best race, but. But you weren't you weren't running that long though to pick that race out of the hat. No, no. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of tied in with like my background of, of sort of rock climbing, or, or more of a background of rock climbing, and my wife's into into a climbing as well. So um, we kind of combined a, a trip to the Alps to go climbing with um, me wanting to scratch the itch of doing a race, and it kind of coincided with with doing Sierra and Al. And you know, if you're going to do one, you may as well do do the most iconic one, I guess. And yeah, start there. I was going to say it's all downhill um, after that, but it's not. It's all uphill with you. Like, but it's thir- 31 kilometers of mm-hmm. distance. How much elevation was in that? Do you remember? I really don't know. 2,000 meters? Yeah, maybe? just over 2,000 meters. I think it's yeah. about half that descent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2019, they had an epic race there because it became part of the Golden Trail Mountain Series. There's a great video on that where you've got the likes of Killian and Jim Walmsley. Um, you've done quite, you've done a few of those iconic races that they've sort of picked on. Um, that's not that old, that series, is it? No, no, it's, I've never done the series. I've done the odd race that yeah. just happens to have been in the series. Um, but I, it's never been one I've wanted to target or anything. It seems to be that they've picked those iconic races that people like to target, you know, mm. and made a series out of that. Yeah. But it's pretty unique. I think it, in a roundabout way, it shows you how trail running is changing um, and is getting more and more. I suppose there's that much sponsorship in it as well, you know, and a lot of the media sort of comes along with that. So they've now got that the World Series is a series of six races, I think. Um, and then they have a final in Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be good for the sport as well, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's difficult when it sort of crosses into. You can't fault people for wanting to jump on the back of trail running and the boom of trail running, definitely not. And, and commercialism comes from that. It's when it sort of encroaches onto other disciplines of running that potentially there's an issue and some places need protecting. And it's commercialism isn't a bad thing all the time, but it can very quickly become a bad thing all the time. And that's the danger maybe with trail running is that it's become mass participation is relatively iconic and, and low key races have become absolutely huge and you yeah. kind of wonder where where does it stop in a way you can hear the fell runner coming out on you but, but that's that's what it's about isn't it like because there's a lot of these fell races you know it's just steeped in tradition isn't it hmm. you know and it's 
these these races have gone on for years and years like that race has been on for 40 years for example mm-hmm. and it's there's so much tradition baked in that um and then you have see i'm stumbling the same way you way you were stumbling <laughs> to describe yeah. that sort of shift um it's difficult isn't it yeah, yeah and it's it is a very difficult thing for it like most sports things are getting commercialized um, there's a lot of good in it, but you don't want to lose the essence of why we enter those races to begin with. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the danger that you see. It's very easy to look at it. And my experience of it is has been predominantly from a UK perspective. And you see this sort of, it creeps into races that 10 years ago, five years ago weren't, you know, they were just, you would, I mean, with fell races, for example, you would you would write a letter to, or you, you would print off a, um, a form and send it to the race organisation to his house and now it's the race is to get into the race online you know and yeah that's it seems like the thin end of a wedge almost not but then again you know it's it's inclusive of loads more people so it it's mm. a, it's just a very delicate balancing act but when you see large companies getting involved that traditionally didn't have much to do with it that sport or, or trail running or whatever and then all of a sudden they are because they they sense a quick buck out of it then you wonder where their where their morals lie where them are, they? Yeah, yeah, and and if they, you know, if they're doing it for all the reasons they say on their posters or in their magazines and all that sort of stuff, or if they're doing it because because they're selling those posters and those magazines and them shoes and them, them hats and all, you know whatever. So, well, it most definitely is that, isn't it? It's like Salomon yeah. and Hoka and things like that. You know, for the observer, for the person that mightn't even get into the race, it can be very exciting. You know, when they mm. have that seven race series, for example, in the top eleven get into the final. And you have the likes of Jim Walmsley and Killian Journey and, and people like that. Um, it's a great spectacle to watch, you know. So there is that yeah. flip side of it as well. Um, but Sierra's, you know, what was that like then, experiencing that race? <laughs> I I didn't like it in, in one <laughs> one bit at all. No, it was <laughs> I thought it was absolutely rubbish. To be honest, <laughs> um, I've since been back. Um, so I was over there this summer. There's no comeback, uh, by the way. You've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i mean i i stand by it at, at the time i absolutely hated it i thought it was i was running it i, I wasn't prepared for it i don't think you know i'd spent maybe a week at altitude and you know had, hadn't been training more than you know i was i was definitely like a hobby sort of runner rather than um as as, as invested into it as i am now but with the the ambition that i was i was better than i was i think um and yeah, that, that soon puts you in your place but i just yeah i just didn't enjoy it um, I didn't didn't see how it was as hyped up as it was. Didn't yeah, I don't know. It was my first experience of, of racing in Europe. And now, you know, having been back there in twenty nineteen to watch those guys running it that you mentioned and um and then last year, um, over the summer, um, myself and another lad Dan um ran it just as a training runner. I just thought what what an awesome course and what a great race. I'd love to race it again. So, you know, a lot can change <laughs> in six years. It's hard to beat that, like, exciting sort of home races that we get and the buzz that you get with that. So if you're ex- sort of expecting to carry that over, um, sometimes it's not there. It's a different thing altogether. Yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd fully appreciate that if that was, if I lived there, then, you know, we, we, I'd, I'd be experiencing that, that community that we get here, mm-hmm. you know, and, it's just a different scene, isn't it? And that was my first exposure to, to racing in Europe, and I think it just got my ass kicked and and had a bit of a bit of a sad on about it, and that 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 would kind of coloured my um my perception of that race. And in actual fact, is I can see how it's such a great race. Maybe it just didn't suit me at the time, and that was it. But um, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of elevation in it, like isn't there? It's yeah, that first what ten k or so is um it's a vertical kilometer, isn't it? I think ten <laughs> k, so it's it's pretty horrible, but um straight off the bat you said you, you've been back to it have you raced it since or just no no just had a, a kind of a fast effort on it over the summer just to see see if we could get under three hours for it and i think we did so okay that was good enough but so, certainly wouldn't be tickling the leaderboards <laughs> you remember what time you got the first time you done it then uh, over three and a half maybe three three thirty five something okay so it must be good when you're going back to those places you know now and seeing that improvement. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to get a gauge of it, definitely, to see see where you're coming from. I mean, the, the reason we are over there last summer was through one of the Matterhorn Old Tracks races, um, and that was something I'd done 2017 or 2018 or something, and then raced it again last year and put 15 minutes into my time, which was, you know, that, wow. that's a good sort of progression.
progression, isn't it? So it's again, and that that links back to that fundamental of, of for me why I run is just to see the improvements. We had um we actually had Martin Cox on the podcast last week. Yeah, me and Martin had a good chat because Martin's as bad as I am. Can you see a big difference then having a coach like Martin on board? Oh, massively, yeah, yeah. That's I think now on reflection, that's when my running started was was three years ago when I when I sort of got in touch with him and sort of the ball started rolling with him really. What do you see? What do you see as the major difference than before and after? Um, there's probably not one singular thing. It's a combination of a lot of things. It, it he obviously brings with him a, a huge amount of experience, um, you know, from having done everything in in the sort of mountain running sense and. He's got a very similar, he's got a mindset and attitude that I gel with quite a lot, I think. So he's able to to speak to me in a way that, that engages me and, and, you know, makes me want to want to do the sessions, you know, and want to um, engage with the, with the sessions he's given me and the plan that he's given me and bringing that consistency, taking the sort of the second guessing out of it like I was doing before and a very much more measured approach than, you know, than, than what I was doing. I mean, I, so just an example of one of the sessions, just, just doing like an easy run. Um, my old easy run, when I thought an easy run was my old 10K pace, which ain't easy. So um, just just lot of things like that, that, you know, they, they create the whole, really. He's very, um, he's a very invested person, isn't he? Um, mm -hmm. He's very, I'm not going to say he's very difficult to interview, but you would think having a good coach on, like to me, I think he's one of the best coaches out there, especially for that uh -huh. type of running. Um, how committed he is to his athletes, and to your point, you know, his very holistic approach that he takes, because that's what it is. It's, it is a holistic approach. It's every, it's a bit of everything, yeah. That gives you those results. But one thing last year, like we had Beth Pascal, obviously smashed the Bob Graham record. Like it was just like, whoa, where did that come from? Like she. She beat yeah. Jasmine by 15 minutes. Like Jasmine's time yeah. was unbelievable. And then in, in October, you had broke Billy Bland's record and there was Martin Cox again. Like it can't be a coincidence. <laughs> well, it isn't a coincidence in any way or form. But he's a very difficult person to interview because if I asked a question, you know, this to me, when I reflected on this, illustrated how good of a coach he was. You know, he blew a raspberry every time I asked him a specific, he said, how do I answer that? Like, you know, because it was so many variables involved. There's a lot of people out there that don't have a coach. I have a few friends there who are exceptional runners. They're like 240 marathoners and they do a lot of 100 mile races as well. And you can really see their potential, but they don't have a coach. And you could see how much difference, you know, somebody like Martin could take them. Yeah, I mean, I, w I was very lucky. Um so yeah, uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, Chris Sterling, is a triathlete um, from Ambleside, and um, I just got in touch with him one day, and just he had had a coach for for his triathlete uh, for his triathlons. Um, got in touch with him and just said, you know, I, I'm looking at looking at getting a coach. Can you recommend anyone, you know, that that you know? And he was like, first name out of the hat for him was was Matt, and he said, I think you already got on with him. I think he's got your sort of attitude, and um, yeah, I think I think you, you you would be a good fit, and that, and first person I got in touch with and I've been with him mm -hmm. since so I've just been land on my feet in that sense I think um, and, and I, I, I fully take your point he, he is in my opinion and, and it's it is with my eyes open that he is I think he's the best coach out there talk to me about some of the I'm really interested in some of the races that you've done because it's, it's great when you get new athletes on and there's races there that you haven't heard of before um, so you've done the Pikes Peaks Ascent yeah that's quite a famous race as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize how how big a deal it was um, <laughs> until I yeah until I kind of got there. Um, yeah, so I've um, very recently sort of become a I'm a teacher. Well, eighteen months or so I finished my training for teaching. Um, so my um, training year, we had a big chunk of time. Twenty nineteen, I finished that. So. Uh, June 2019 I finished it so I had a massive chunk till I started work in September to to go traveling I got got a grant for as like being a geography teacher um so all this tax-free money <laughs> and um and spent it wisely in my opinion by going off to, to to Europe in the states to go racing and running um so spent about three months out two months out in Europe and a month out in the states and uh or three weeks out in the states and um yeah Pikes Peak was one of the one of the races and um awesome race flipping out yeah but they they do the marathon and then they have the ascent. 
the ascent has like 11% gradient on average. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bar's Trail, is that what it, it goes up? Bar's? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it follows roughly the Bar Trail. Um, and you've got this this famous kind of cabin called Bar Camp about halfway up. Yeah, it's um, quite it's quite famous. It's quite famous for people getting struck by lightning, you know. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, there's a, there's a certain time that you're meant to hike that um, trail, and they tell you to be careful whether it's in the evening or the morning. I can't remember what it is like, and be careful. Oh, right. Okay. Quite quite a few people get struck by lightning, <laughs> as if the scent the scent isn't bad enough. But what <laughs> what sort of distance was only? When did you run that race? Wasn't that long that's, ago, was it? That's a half mile. Oh, sorry. When when did I run it? Yeah. Uh, 2019. 2019. So only. Yeah. two years ago now like but um so it's a half yeah. marathon just over yeah yeah just just over yeah yeah do you like that yeah, type of it. race then you like the ascending i do yeah i i used to i used to hate it i used to that was my my big um my big weakness as a runner was was maintaining a, a pace uphill pretty much um and now i'd absolutely love those types of races so the, the build-up to pikes peak out in europe was um did a few different races, but the majority of them were kind of uphill only races. So, um, Glacier Three Thousand is a is a classic Swiss race, and obviously you finish up at three thousand meters, um, start down in a ski resort, and just run up. Um, it's about ten mile roughly flat, and then ten k of just bang straight <laughs> up, and all, all, all your climbing's done in that um, that last ten k, and it's horrendous. How how do you take a race on like that then? Um, it must be very difficult not to blow a gasket before you get to the climb. Yeah, and and again, you know, that's that's the beauty of having Martin as your coach because he's he's done it, I don't know how many times, but he was just like, you know, people will go off like a rocket for that ten mile at the start, and then you'll be passing them on the climb. So just obviously, if you're competing, you want to be, you know, you need to temper your effort, but but don't don't burn all your matches on that first ten mile because because you'll 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 die a slow death on the climb. Um, so yeah, it was just um, just you know a bit of race experience really, and thinking it's. Um, just looking at the profile of the, of the course and thinking, well, yeah, the, all, all the climbing for this uphill only race um, is in the final 10k. So you need to be making sure that you can <laughs> you can compete in that final 10k. Also, what's the point of being there? Um, How did you transition across then? From you know, if you if you didn't if you weren't enjoying not enjoying's the wrong word by the way. Nobody enjoys <laughs> the the ascending. But you know, if that wasn't one of your strengths, how did that crossover like? Yeah, it was just it was. I just recognised it as as a weakness, and obviously, if you want to if you want to improve, you want to address those weaknesses, don't you? So, we just focus on that in training. Nothing, not 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 in a ridiculous way, as in every single session was an uphill tempo. But it was just, yeah, addressing that as a weakness that it was, um, and you know, trying to be be more of a a, a complete or rounded runner. So, um, and I, I'd. I think it is possible to enjoy them. I, I, that's my favourite type of running now. Is is an uphill only race. I think I absolutely love them. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely not a world beater. No, no kind of Jacob Adkin or anything. But um, you know, I, I I definitely get more out of it than, than it feels like I'm putting into it as well, and I feel like I put in a a, a fair odd effort as well. So, I think I think that's a key thing that you just mentioned there. You know, as runners, we quite often like to do the things that we're good at, and and it's it's getting that mindset of like. If, if you're training for running you're just training so if you get if you get beat up on a climb you know you you have a rubbish time on it, it you're not racing so what th- there's no consequence to it. it it's only a it's only a positive thing so if you're training for it what are you training for to get better at running so so just suck it up and, and kind of do it you know it's and the whole point is that you, you you will get better if you put the effort into it do you have in your head some sort of um in my head, I've got this like pyramid where you know sleep comes first, um, then nutrition, then training. Like we had Robbie Britton on the podcast a few weeks ago as well, and he was just like, "Nutrition, what do you wear on your feet, Robbie? Nutrition, you know, how many miles should I run? Nutrition, do you break your training down in that way? You know, is it like sleep and recovery must be a big thing. Like like a day to day nutrition must be a big thing. I don't think I break it down in in that sort of sense. It's definitely the factors that are extremely important, but I don't. I've never thought of it in that sort of sense, to be honest. No, I mean, yeah, I, I try and sleep, I try and eat, <laughs> um, and but what about the, try and do them well. You know? what, what do you think is the most important part of your training schedule then? What are you generally doing now? As in like a typical week? Yeah. Um, all, all different factors aside in terms of if I'm building for a race, whatever. A typical, I mean, 
the, the, the week I've done at the moment, a um, couple of easy runs at the start of the week with some strides, hour long, hour and 20, something like that. I'll have a um, doing mile repeats, uphill mile repeats um, on the Wednesday, just gone. 80 minute easy run on the Thursday with some strides. And then an uphill tempo, 25 minute half hour uphill tempo on the Friday. Uh, yesterday was a 90 minute easy run, and then today was about two and a half hour easy run. So, so you're a lot of easy runs. Not rocket sense. A lot of easy yeah. runs in there. Yeah, but but almost kind of relatively specific easy runs. The yeah. the longer ones, the weekend ones, they're on sort of um, hillier trails. What's your favourite yeah. um, session on Wednesday? The one mile of uh, hills. No, no, I I <laughs> like the um, the the Friday sessions. My favourite one, the uphill tempos. Okay. Yeah, they're good. There's something about that, isn't there? When you when you're working really hard, you think you're really benefiting from it. Well, you yeah, obviously yeah. you obviously are. But the, the yeah. longer two and a half hours or the easy sort of days, you benefit just as much from. It's really hard to get that into your head, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. That, that was the first the first year or probably 18 months of, of doing actual proper training was getting that, into, getting that into your head that easy means easy, you know. And um, and, and as I alluded to before, my, my old easy pace was, was my old 10K pace. And that, that hung around for, that was a shadow, you know, for the first... 12, 18 months was go easy because that's where you get the benefit of those harder sessions. You know, not, not every session can be that sort of Lamborghini session. You know, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got to put in the, the sort of fit and the, uh, <laughs> the the crappy car kind of sessions. Active to, recovery. To what do you do yeah. for recovery then? Um, the easy runs or, or go on my bike um, Would you do and much, eat well, drink well. Yeah, do much on the bike? Not, not as much. I Generally, if I've got my 90 minute, Easy run, for example, yesterday I might go out on my bike. Um, got like a gravel cross bike thing, so I go up around um, some of the forest trails for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, or something. Just again, not, nothing hard, just pooling along, really. What about your diet then? Is, do you do anything specific for your diet? Not really. I'm a vegetarian. I've struggled with diet, definitely. That's that's been a big factor with throughout the past few years. Really, is equating having an unhealthy relationship with with lightness. You know that feeling of being light and mm. um that's that's bit many ass more times than i can kind of count and even now um so i mean yeah i had two stress fractures in me foot the this time last year really from well november 9 2019 through till sort of february 2020 four months off of of issues with the feet and um that was all down to just not not fueling myself properly against all the advice i was getting i was just you get stuck in that mindset just come back from Europe and and America running well and had a good couple of fell races as well in that October of 2019 and and thought it's because I'm light therefore I need to be lighter and I'll get better and it's just <laughs> it's just daft, it's, isn't it's it? very hard yeah. isn't it like that's it's so counterintuitive you know because you want to mm. be at race weight you know but if you're at race weight the whole time your whole immune yeah. system's breaking down and it's very exactly. hard to s sustain that strength and that recovery. I don't struggle. <laughs> I don't struggle with that. <laughs> but it, it is, it's a very difficult thing because you do race well when you're light. There's no doubt yeah. about that. But it's whether or not you can maintain that throughout the year, the racing year. Um, mm. When you say nutrition then with your feet, is it just, like, was it just that, getting the recovery in then if you were, if you were sort of restricting I don't know if restricting is the right word in that, by the way, but um, trying to maintain that race weight the whole time that you weren't getting enough strength to recover properly. Yeah, I think I think that's broadly the, the sort of mm. the, the root of it. Yeah, it just wasn't, uh, and and I think restricting was was or is is the right word for it. I mean, I, it's something that doesn't just go away either. I'm still, it's not. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a condition or anything, but it's still something that I think about. You know, it's it's always at the back of your head, like. I might have a day where I weigh myself three times a day, you know, that, that, that's not right, is it, you know, but it's something you're aware of and it's not an overnight sort of thing. To it's a runner's habit. It is a runner's habit. Yeah. <laughs> I weigh myself and, every day, you know, but there's, you, yeah. there's days when um, I eat too much, you know, on a Friday night, I might have had half a bottle of wine and all of a sudden the cupboards just get red and then I have <laughs> a brilliant weekend of running where you feel really yeah. strong and you've eaten twice the food than you would have if you hadn't had the half bottle of wine, you're like, hmm, you have that much more strength in your body. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, I mean, even talk about it, it's so obvious that it's, like, fuel yourself properly and, and you'll run well. But 
there's still something like at the back of your head that's just oh, but if you eat too much then you have to do an extra half hour in your session and all that sort of you know it's daft isn't it but i guess it's just um speaking to people yeah like 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 you were saying just saying you know you you weigh yourself as well it's just one of those it's it's maybe par for the course for being a runner and i don't know it, for some reason it keeps me focused i don't know why i do it it's maybe just the fact mm. they're very convenient because they're lying on the floor so you go into the bathroom well i might as well just stand on them yeah. um, but if i'm a couple of pound up i'd be more focused and you know the worst thing one thing i don't do anymore is stand on the scales before i go for a run because <laughs> that can destroy oh, right, your yeah. run you're like shit i'm four pound heavier today this is going to be a real <laughs> tough run like um but it is it is a i'm not going to say a problem like but it's uh it's another part of the puzzle that people have to work mm. out for themselves you know what the right weight yeah, is um and you know there is a time to be at your race weight and there is a time to be a, tr a healthy training weight i was going to say that we had sarah mccormack on the podcast as well and that's one thing she tried to do was get her um rate down to race weight and she said she was never as sick and as, as many colds through that season that she was so inconsistent in her run and it really affected her results where mm. she had learned to eat more so it would build up her immune system i can i can definitely i haven't stopped eating now since since i heard that <laughs> but um coming out of that stress factor then that can be quite a difficult period so we had talked at the beginning of the podcast you know i i've been out for four months and it's really difficult because you're not even walking about because it's your feet you know so yeah. you're sort of staying in the house and it can be really really tough and you know cabin fever sets in how did you find that process of recovery um so i i was lucky enough after about six weeks or so um i was able to get on the bike quite a bit and just that became the sort of the, the new focus but much more um much more controlled so I'd, I'd go out three or four times a week on the bike do maybe one session where it'd be like hill repeats on the bike six eight minutes or something like that and then the rest of it was just trying to do long rides just to keep that sort of base level of fitness up and then just yeah transitioning very slowly back into running some from sort of mid-february this time last year really was just one day on two days off for a week or two and then one day on one day off and then two days on one day off and building up the time you're running as well and you know 20 minutes round around the, uh, the playing fields just all on grass and you know, I've got playing fields mile and a half away from my house. Um, and I drive down there to run for 20 minutes and then drive back. It just seems seems a bit weird when you explain it to someone. But but within the context, you know, that's that's what you need to do to, you know, and just be patient with it. And I was very lucky to kind of be back to a decent level of fitness within about a month, five weeks, really. It's about of, maintaining the like, habit as well, isn't it, of just getting out? Yeah. And keeping that going. Yeah. It does get frustrating. Just having though. that enjoyment. Yeah. It, it does get frustrating though when you see people that you know <laughs> who are improving all the time. You're sitting back for four oh, yeah. months. Like, what? But 2019 was a cracking year for you though. You came back, you know, with vengeance. Do you think on reflection that time out might have helped slightly? Let your whole body recover? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I had um, very low iron going into 2019 as well. So 2018, I was a little bit crocked with um, um, iron deficiency anemia. So it sounds like a catalogue of, of errors, isn't it? But um, so I was a little bit weaker from that. So I had a bit of time off over the winter from that as well. And then, yeah, I think that, that prolonged period, that four months, 2019, 2019 into 2020, just allowed, yeah, as I say, the full body kind of recovery really to... Runners do get bombarded with issues, by the way, <laughs> just so you know. Yeah, um, it's but just one of them things, isn't it? A lot of those things, they will go under under the radar for people when they aren't mm. running. It's only because you're pushing your body to the limits all the time. You know, that you're, there's things that are going wrong. But quite a few people do struggle with the likes of low iron. You know, it's one of the... Yeah. It's such an important thing to get the oxygen around the body and getting the muscles working properly. Going into last year then, with the whole COVID situation and races being cancelled, I know I had Beth on the actual podcast as well. She was praying that UTMB was going to go ahead and staying focused on that, and they found out very late in the season. Were you focused on the Bob Graham throughout the 2020, or was that just something that popped up? Yeah, that was very much a, um, very much a last-minute thing, so... What I have, yeah, I had a kind of a full sort of fell schedule really. Um, the idea was to was to always to go to Europe and do some races out there in the summer. Um, in in my six weeks off from teaching, in that summer time period, and then, um, so that didn't really change too much. 
and then it was um, all geared towards towards having a crack at the the world champs. So the the trial race was going to be in Scotland in mid September, um, and that got cancelled at the start of September. And so really from there it was again just having a conversation with Matt and just thinking, well, I've got this sort of fitness from the Alps, and I've um, kind of I need something to to have an outlet for really. And and the Bob Graham just kind of came up, you know, almost as an afterthought to be honest. And uh, uh, I'd I'd gone around in uh, 2016, um, and I sort of had unfinished business with it. To be honest, didn't have a very good run back then. So I thought, you know, have, having seen Beth and seen the time she had done, I thought, well, it'd be great to have a have a go at that and see if I can <laughs> see if I can have a crack at best time or whatever and, and get around that. Um, well, what time did you get in 2016? Uh, 20 hours 52, something like that. It's phenomenal, that isn't it? The difference between the two different runs, um, apart from your training and your condition obviously that's much of you just answered the mm. question is there anything else sort of between the two of them um obviously 2016 was played an integral part of the result of 2020 and the learning that you got from yeah that. yeah i mean um I'd, i tore my shin on the first leg <laughs> right. of, of 2016 so that i think that was i was in better shape than, than 2052 i think um obviously you know, it's, hard, it's hard to say given how long that thing is but um yeah it, it didn't help and i by sort of middle of leg three i was walking down the hills backwards on that 2016 thing just because i couldn't point my toes basically um going uphill was absolutely fine so i had tons of energy going uphill but just getting down was was horrendous and so it was just i was never bothered and, I, I, and if, if covid hadn't happened I, I, I you know i wouldn't be talking about rob graham because i wouldn't have done it again probably uh, i have a question going through my head here why do you run George, you get so many, <laughs> so many, so much pain that comes along with it. Um, yeah, it seems like, isn't it? Well, you're in the Alps, then. You're doing a lot of altitude training, then. Yeah, just um, yeah, just uh, geared towards doing well at this Matterhorn race, really, um, the old tracks race. So yeah, we started off in France, and then quarantine restrictions came in for people coming back from France into the UK. So the border into switzerland and generally it's you get less hassle in switzerland the higher up and the, the further away from town to villages you are so it just happened to be we myself and and dan hayworth were in in our vans we went up to this dam reservoir thing at about three thousand meters or so and <laughs> proper like uh spartan existence up there <laughs> and just just stayed there for a month pretty much and what what draws you to the that type of what what drew you to the mountain running series then race series the the love for the mountains really from growing up i think um the the athleticism of it in a sense that mountain running you you see the best european mountain runners and they you know their 10k times or their 5k times are, are rapid um so they're athletically they're they're exceptional runners as well um but then you've got the added element of trying to do that at two and a half thousand meters or, or whatever on on single track mountain paths and it's just a very um as lame as it sounds, a very inspiring sort of mm. style of running. I think really it blends for me the sort of the the athleticism as said um, with with that the feeling that you're running in an incredible place or incredible places. Well, it just lifts you mm. as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose inspiration is the word, isn't it? Like you just get inspired for everybody that's around, and yeah. it makes you push that extra ten percent when you're there. Maybe it's wrong to say that. I'm not sure. Like, but. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's um it's fun as well. You know, it's interesting. You're not. Yeah. I think I I couldn't do road running as a as a specific discipline. I enjoy road running. I just couldn't do it as a. I, I couldn't chase a marathon time, for example, because you're just a slave to the clock. Then I think. Whereas you you could run on any road in the world, and it could be any road in the world. Whereas you could be out on the mountains, and you are in the Valais, you're in the Highlands, you're in the Lake District. You know, it's. They're very specific areas, and they've got very specific characteristics to them that, that I, I, I don't recognise in road running. Yeah, it's um, it's innate. I think the word yeah. for me, it's very innate. You know, it's where human beings come from. You know, being in the great outdoors and in nature, and you know, running across a fell with about an hour left of light. You know, and there's nobody else about. Um, even if you are pushing a mile ascent, <laughs> 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 you know, it's it's very hard to come by. Um, you know, I, I was road running first and I only found mountain running maybe the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been up mountains five times this week. I'm lucky <laughs> that I yeah. live so close. And to be able to, I suppose, be good at that and be able to compete 
um it becomes more of a lifestyle then doesn't it yeah i think so yeah yeah it's it's just yeah it's, it's good to see i mean when we we're out there in uh, 2019 there were some lads like younger lads from from keswick had gone out just you know they were school leavers 18 19 before university and they went out there and they were just like living that lifestyle you know camping out in um uh, in Zanel, in that valley up there and just simple you know washing in the streams and washing the becks and, and going out running and that, that was them the guys in keswick must get a pair of fell running shoes for their first birthday but they've got great junior following there in the club um i think so yeah i mean uh i, I know ambleside definitely does i'm i'm yeah running with ambleside and um had a brief brief year with with keswick running with them and then went back to ambleside just familiarity with that club but yeah the the junior scene i, I can only really speak for cumbria but the junior scene across cumbria is fantastic yeah um, tons of really really good runners mm. that are coming through you know of, of sort of the the sort of early teens mid-teens up till sort of 19 into like under 20s under under 21 sort of runners are just going to be phenomenal the next few years yeah uh, it's a pretty exciting place you see when you come down from the alps then like mm. how did you feel you know being up there for like you can really tell the difference then coming back down you know from that altitude training yeah i think so um is, yeah, it like, just, is it like you, you come just, down and you want to spend it? You know, you've gone up there, you've invested all that time, you come down and you're like charged up. You want to spend it. Yeah, it's difficult. It's not like a magic pill or anything. It, I think it's just more, I mean, whether it's, I mean, the, the altitude obviously has, has to play a part in it. But for me, it was, you, you can run up uphill in the Alps for an hour and a half and you're still going uphill. Whereas in, in the lakes, you can run for half an hour and, and you're pretty much pretty much for the 95% of the fellows, you're, you're at the top in half an hour in, mm. in 35 minutes, 40 minutes. So you've just got so much more running in your legs when you come back from somewhere like the Alps. So, you know, if, if you spent a month, six weeks, two months running hour and a half uphill, you know, and you come back to running a, a, a third of that or a half of that, then, yeah, you've just got that much more running in your legs, I think, and you're just that much more prepared for it. Yeah, ready. Yeah. So you spent it on the Bob Graham. Um, can't go past that. One of the most iconic rounds, I suppose, the English Bob Graham round. Um, Billy mm. Bland's record held for thirty-six years. We had Killian come over in two thousand and eighteen, who broke it. I didn't know what to think of that. The good thing about Killian is he's very, he still maintained all those traditions and things like that. Killian's phenomenal athlete, mm-hmm. and again, you know, good to see him come over and do it. But <laughs> Billy Bland's record was absolutely phenomenal which it was 38 years ago now and yeah. there's something about it you know when you then came along and broke billy's record like that was it was quite mind-blowing it's almost this roger bannister moment of breaking the four minute <laughs> mile of you know kellyan's broke his record there's a record there that sat that for a long time people maybe thought couldn't be beaten what's your reflection on it like you know when it's like to break billy bland's time um, how do you reflect on that? You know, what does that mean to you? Um, it's it's obviously very nice, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a bit bemused by the sort of the attention that it that it initially got and and calling it this sort of British British record thing. I just I, that's that a bit uncomfortable with me, but that that's other people saying that and that that's how they interpret it. That's entirely up to them. But Killian's is the record, and flipping out, that's that would be a that's that's achievable, but it, you know it's achievable for for a very good athlete, obviously, to come and beat that. But um, yeah, there's there's one record, and it's and it's Killian's now, and I wasn't really all that close to it when it's fifty minutes away from that. So um, I, yeah, I think I think Billy's time was was on the radar. So that that time mid September, I went out and had a couple of recce's of, of the round just to familiarise myself with some of the lines I might want to take because I think when you're looking at going. For a, for a fast round, you know, you need to obviously know where you're going <laughs> um, and, and the lines that work best for you. So um, it was really on that. I only had two weekends of wrecking it uh, and it was the second weekend. I thought, OK, well, maybe um, I was initially on, on a 15 hour schedule for the first weekend and I, I ran it comfortably in that, um, carrying all my kit and stuff and just thought, well, next weekend I'll, I'll, I'll go off best splits. And, and that felt that felt good as well. And and so then it was really well. I just go kind of death or glory. I think is what what I said to my to my support crew is I'm just going to go for a fast time. I didn't tell them I was going to go for Billy's time necessarily. I told them fourteen and a half. Um, and then it was just kind of came out. Um, Paul Comfort just asked me straight up was you know how are you actually going to go for Billy's time? And I kind of 
I had to kind of tell him, you know, I had to be honest and say, well, yeah, that's that that is in that's at the back of my head is to go for that. But fourteen hour was the schedule I ended up giving out a couple of days beforehand to to my paces and support people and um, just tried to to run under that really. And it wasn't really until I don't know I'd, I had certain times I knew I had to be at road crossings for. I, I definitely wasn't a slave to the watch. Um, apart from knowing I needed to be at Dunmail for 10 a.m., I think it was. Knowing I needed to be at Wasdale for uh, 2 p.m., knowing I needed to be at um, Honister for 5 p.m., and therefore I'd, I'd be in with a shout from Honister at 5 p.m. of beating, beating Billy's time. But that was about as sort of strict as I got with myself. Um, and it wasn't really until dropping down into Wasdale that I thought I could, you know, if, if, as long as I don't implode, I could, um, I could get Billy's time. But probably not by much. <laughs> what, what do you do to fuel on that then? A lot of practice with it. That's probably quite an overlooked. Well, maybe maybe not these days, but I think certainly for Billy's time when he did his, he they just didn't have the nutrition knowledge potentially that that we have now, and and I certainly didn't have gels or anything like that, and you know sports drinks and all that. You know they had a he, he had a can of beer a couple of times, didn't he, around there? I think, <laughs> and 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 that was their that was their sports drink, whatever. Um, so. Yeah, it was sort of training the gut on, on gels. I just used gels pretty much all around and the odd sort of um, mountain fuel uh, flapjack uh, thing, which which I, I find for me is, is great. Um, and then just, yeah, gels, jellies, that sort of stuff, and, and just keep drinking a sort of um, electrolyte sort of mixture. Electrolytes seem to be a big key thing that keeps on popping up now all the time mm-hmm. um, and, and maintaining that balance. That's, it can be a very difficult thing, can't it? And it can really disrupt yeah. the stomach. I think that's one thing that is overlooked and it's very hard to tell whether you're taking too much or it sounds like I know what I'm talking about now. This is Robbie Britton <laughs> talking, <laughs> but Martin mentioned it as well, you know, and, and it's one thing that I know a lot of people um, at my level don't even mention, you know, electrolytes. So we do take electrolytes, um, but we do, I don't think there's a lot of people don't understand how important they actually are. And, and just how important it is to, to, to train your gut to, to be able to, handle those types of foods under stress mm-hmm. um it's very easy to trot along leg two of the, of the bob graham for example in six seven eight hours twice as slow as as, as you, what, you, what you might do on on the actual day of the round or day of the race whatever um and eat your food and, and it all goes down well but if that's you, you your stomach's not under the stress it will be under having done two and a half hours before that leading into it and then doing leg two at race pace or leg three at race pace and so on. So you, you've really got to replicate the conditions that you're going to be eating in on race day or on, on, on your challenge day or whatever it, whatever it is that you're actually going for. It's difficult though, isn't mm. it? Because mm. you're out that. So lucky enough, I got into UTMB. I could take me 40 hours to do that. I'm not going to do that on race day. Like, <laughs> so it is very difficult when you go longer to replicate those, that stress, as you mentioned there. Isn't it like so? Yeah. And how did you find that then? If that was the longest you'd run, how was it in the last ten k? Um, it was fine. I, I don't think I ever actually had a, a proper a bunk or whatever. You know, I, I, I was always pretty. I mean, with a couple of of short twenty minute, thirty minute sort of sections where I felt a little bit low because I'd maybe missed something, or there were a couple of, of bars I had. I changed up the bars I had. I didn't have enough of, of a certain bar, so I just supplemented with something I hadn't tried before. And there were a couple of them were inedible, so I just spat them out. You know, did, mm. I mean, the person made them flipping out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I think, yeah, that you know, and then half an hour later you're paying for it, or an hour later you're paying for it. So yeah, sticking with what works and then being consistent with it, just like anything with with running. I think consistency in your training will reap rewards, and consistency in what you're eating come come the race or you know whatever it is. Was as well. Um, can you remember what Martin said to you after you touched Moot Hall? Yeah, I think he, he sent me a text just saying, well done. <laughs> that was good from Martin, was it? Yeah, no, it, it, and you, I, I don't need any more than that, you know. It's, um, well, it's, you, don't, you don't need to be told either, well done, you know, for getting a time like that. Um, yeah. Is it more about, like, it's a Bob Graham round time, isn't it? we talk about records and things like that it's how fast you've done that round um and that's a time that will always stay with you stay with you do you think that it's sort of uncovered a part of your your ability that maybe you weren't focusing on yeah maybe i mean i i think i what led into i mean i 
I said that the Bob Graham was was only a, a, a like an end of season thing when there was nothing else doing. But I think um, I, I did a race called the Old County Tops with with Paul actually Paul Tierney um, back in was that 2019? That's a, uh, in May. That's about 36 mile or so. Um, me and him had a little run around that, and we end up we end up winning it um, with a sprint finish after 36 miles. Um, literally laid hands out, charging down the road type of thing, and um, and I just felt really good on that run. Um, all, all the way through, you know, felt full of running, felt great, um, and just thought, oh, maybe maybe that's maybe that sort of slightly longer distance could be could be where my sort of forte is, where where my sort of talent lies, maybe potentially, and um, and so that's a confidence boost that you don't know at the time, but 18 months later, you're, you're going around the bob and you've got that, that you've got that run in your legs then, knowing that you can, can go at a relatively fast pace over 40 miles or, or 35 miles. And that's not, it's not far off a bob, is it, I guess. So. Do you think that's something for the future rather than now? That sort of longer distance where you talk about the likes of UTMB and the Western States and those type of longer trail races? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I think, I think sort of 100k, is is a good distance for me. I, I I've never really been, never really been interested in in racing something like the UTMB or Western States or Hard Rock or you know those hundred milers. Um, they're great spectacles and they're great to watch. But I think if I was going to do a UTMB series race, it'd be CCC maybe. Yeah. That sort of thing. You like pushing hard over that distance. Yeah, yeah. As as relatively hard as you can yeah. do for, for sixty miles. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's still that that element of the sort of feeling like you're going fast. Whereas I feel like if I was to do a hundred mile, I wouldn't I wouldn't have that that feeling of like I was going very fast. <laughs> um, what what's yeah. your favourite race out there? What would be your dream race? Ooh, dream race? I don't know. Yeah, there's there are loads out there. I think I I don't feel beholden to a certain distance at the moment. I think if if I was going to choose a race that I'd love to race as I am right now, CCC would be great to do. But if you had asked me six months ago, it wouldn't have been my dream race or anything. It's just, it just happens to be something that I've been thinking about for a bit since, since the sort of bob. And you must be excited now since the BG, like you know, and getting that time and knowing, as you said, a great confidence booster, um, mm-hmm. and knowing where your fitness levels at. Like it's really, in, it's going to be really interesting to see. <laughs> no pressure, how you do in your next race or your next know, race yeah. series. Um, and you must be all fired up, ready for that. Um, but it must be an exciting time for you. Yeah, I think I think it is exciting. I, I haven't I haven't really thought. It's it's at the back of your head. You're thinking, well, if I'm if I feel like I'm going well, then I'm I'm not the only one that feels like that. Um, so I think from from sort of COVID and from lockdown, you're either going to be very very good, or you're going to be yeah. bored of running, or you're going to be injured. You know, there's there's those three sort of elements, and that that's it. You know, there'll be people. You know, you, it's you can see the runs people are doing around here on the driver and things like that. And you think, well, flipping out that, 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 that guy's going well, or, or she's going well, you know, flipping out. Um, so yeah, I think w- once we get back racing, I mean, you've, you've seen it last year with all the mm. best, best BG and, um, Kim's late 24 record and all those sorts of things. And, and the lads up in Scotland, you know, flipping out, Sasha Checkland doing the, the Scottish 24 hour record and, and, and Finn Wilde is Ramsey round flipping out. Um, it just seems to be one record after another. Keep <laughs> yeah 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 so i think once once we get back into running uh, so uh racing flipping out that's going to be uh exciting yeah, times. it's going to be exciting yeah definitely george gonna wrap it up with that um thanks no very much for your time hope it didn't there's so many people obviously you coming on the radar with the bob graham um may mm. not have heard of george foster before and they'll be wanting to know every tenth degree of detail <laughs> that happened in the bob graham um, there are a lot of interviews out there, obviously, but there's only so much you can talk about in the round. You know, yeah. it's, it's really about your preparation and getting a good support team around you as well is yeah, definitely is critical. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's something I've talked about before. It's it's that's the beauty of those rounds is that you just cannot. I mean, Finley well um, excluded for his solo and support of Ramsey, but but you you just can't get around him without that, that support. Mm. I mean, I can't anyway, and and just the privilege of having. You know, a, a, the Lake Swinkwire record holder, the European mountain running champion, you know, <laughs> n- numerous England and, and GB internationals running with your pace and you're holding your bottle. It's flipping out. Yeah. That's immense. Um, it's um, crazy. Yeah. I wish you all the best anyway. This year, it'll be interesting to see how things go. Thanks very much. Um, I'm keeping yeah, an eye on everybody and how it goes on. 
Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Again, I apologize for the delays. Something different this Friday with Noel and Lynn Hanner on the recent winter K2 attempts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Inspirational Runner. You can also be found on Facebook, The Inspirational Runner Podcast. And why not visit us on our new venture, More Mountain Adventures, which is also found on Facebook, where we have created some epic challenges to test you on the hills. It's great to get another episode out. So until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.